Good morning. The scripture reading today is Matthew 13, 31 through 35. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. You like documentaries? You like documentaries? I do. I'm a fan. I would, I'd much rather watch something that's well-researched and is historically accurate than most of the nonsense that's, you know, that's out there today. And maybe my favorite like, historical documentary is called Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a scene in that, in the Holy Grail, where King Arthur and you know, all the guys are there, his assistant Patsy, the guy with the coconuts, and uh, Sir Lancelot the Brave is there, and Sir Robin the Not-So-Brave as Sir Lancelot is also there. And they've been told by their guide that the location of the Holy Grail is written down in a cave. And so... They've got to go to this cave so they can find the Holy Grail. But they were warned that there's a ferocious monster guarding the entrance to this cave. And they're all, sorts, of course, imagining, is it a dragon? Is it a minotaur? What is this thing? And so they get all the way to the entrance of this cave. And what do they find guarding that cave? Somebody knows. What is it? It's a, it's a little fluffy white rabbit. And they had, and King Arthur yells at their guide. He says, you silly sod. We got all worked up. Right? All worked up for nothing. What's he going to do? Nibble our bums? It's just a little rabbit. One of the other guys says, I was so scared, I soiled my armor. And it's just a little white rabbit. Now, if you've seen the movie, I mean the documentary you know that little rabbit was nothing to trifle with. It had a mean streak. Now, the re- I bring that story up for a reason. Not because I want to be the only preacher in 2018 to use the vampire rabbit in a sermon illustration, but because in my mind's eye, as I picture the disciples and even Jesus' enemies and the rest of the crowd that's listening to him preach where we're at today as we walk through the book of Matthew, I imagine those people listening to Jesus a little bit like King Arthur and the boys feeling like them looking at that little fluffy white rabbit because they were expecting something bigger. Everyone in Israel, for the most part, knew what God had promised in what we call the Old Testament, that a king was coming. 
a powerful king we call the Christ or the Messiah. And the Old Testament promises over and over and over when he starts his kingdom, it's going to, it's going to be something that nobody could miss. It's going to be powerful and awesome. And here's, here's one example. One thing in the Old Testament, at the beginning of the Messianic kingdom, when the Christ, when the Messiah begins his reign, on that day, Zechariah wrote, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies to the east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives itself will be split in half from east to west, leaving a great valley. Half the mountain will move northward. Half the mountain will move southward. In Daniel chapter 2, a vision of that king coming is is pictured as a rock which crashes to earth and grows into a giant mountain which fills the entire earth. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man will reign with power over the kingdoms of the earth. That's what the Old Testament promises the kingdom's going to be like. And then Jesus shows up And he steps out of the wilderness and his first public line of his ministry is, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1. And he starts doing miracles that prove he's the promised king. He's got power over the angelic world, over the physical world, over physics itself, over disease And so, oh boy, it's kingdom time. And that's why today Jesus stands up, or in the passage we read today, Jesus stands up and says, the kingdom of heaven is like lightning shooting out of a tornado during an earthquake. Is that what he said? No, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It grows into a big mustard. It's like like a, a woman baking some bread. And this is why I say the people listening to that had to think, I feel a little bit like we were expecting a dragon and we got a little white rabbit. This isn't what we were expecting. I feel like the disciples hear Jesus preaching this and want to go, oh man, chief, can we, you're off message here. Can we repackage this? Jesus, instead of what you just preached if I might be so bold as to suggest. Why don't you shoot lightning out of your eyes and scream that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and whoever doesn't bow to me is going to perish. Why don't we do that, Lord? But Jesus says, no. We're going to do this mustard seed, mustard plant thing first. Now, before I teach these two parables, teach through these two parables this morning, I do want you to hear this. The kingdom of God that I just described earlier with the Mount of Olives splitting in half and nobody will miss it and King of kings and Lord of lords and ruling over all the nations of the earth, that's coming. The people of Jesus' day weren't wrong to expect it. They were just early. We are waiting on the kingdom and thy kingdom will come. In the book of Revelation, the end of our Bibles, we're told there will come a day when the last trumpet will sound and all the voices of heaven will shout out this in unison. The kingdom of the world 
has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That is coming. It's very clearly predicted in the Old and the New Testaments. What nobody knew when Jesus showed up, though, is there would be a gap of time between when the king showed up the first time and when he, inauguration day, when he touches the Mount of Olives and it splits in half. There's at least 2,000 years in between those two, his first coming and his second. Because that's what we're living in right now. So what at the end of this passage when Jesus, or when Matthew tells us, Jesus taught this way because he was teaching people things that had been hidden from the foundations of the world. Nobody knew about what we call the church age that we're living in right now. But because, G- because people were expecting a dragon and Jesus came like a lamb, people were expecting the lion and Jesus came like the lamb, it, many people made the mistake and still make the, the mistake of thinking that it, Jesus is weak. And he's not. It's just that his plan was different initially than people expected. I want to show you what Jesus taught us this, uh, in those two parables, beginning with the parable of the mustard seed, verses 31 and 32. Jesus compares, again, the parable, or excuse me, compares the kingdom of God that he was beginning to a tiny mustard seed that grows into a big mustard plant. Very obviously, Jesus is letting his disciples know, what I'm starting is going to be a little less impressive looking than what you are anticipating. He's painting a picture of, of his kingdom that will be very different from what people were, were expecting. And here's how we know that's, that's part, of the, part of the point. Jesus could have, if all he wanted to teach was he's going to start something small that's going to grow big. I don't know what the biggest kind of tree was in first century Israel, but it wasn't a mustard plant. Mustard plant's not the most impressive thing he could have picked to tell this story, right? I know they had cedars. I don't think they had like redwoods and sequoias. I don't even know if they had oak trees, but I know they had cedars. In Lebanon, there were apparently some giant, ancient cedars, and, he, and they have tiny seeds. Jesus could have said that the kingdom of heaven is like a giant cedar that starts out small and grows huge, and birds come and nest in it, but he doesn't. He uses a mustard plant, which again is not a very impressive plant. I don't care how big it gets. He's telling us this kingdom is going to start small and grow big, but it's going to be kind of a not that impressive big. Like nobody goes on vacation to Mustard Plant National Forest. Right? Nobody's travel bucket list is like giant sequoias, Grand Canyon, Old Faithful, Valley of Mustard. Nobody has that. I, I grew up uh, less than 30 miles from Cocker City, Kansas. Anybody ever been to Cocker City, Kansas? Oh yeah, I know Curtis has. If you go to Cocker City, Kansas, you will find and you will see the world's largest ball of twine. Okay? How many of you have gone on vacation for the purpose of visiting the world's largest ball of twine? Nobody. You know why? You know why? 
Because no matter how big it gets, it's still a ball of string. It just is. It, it, I mean, it's big. It's big, too. It wouldn't fit in my office. But it's still a ball of string. That's part of Jesus' point. For the last 2,000 years, people from all over the world have been gradually coming to the realization that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is my Savior. I, without Him, I'm not getting into the kingdom of God because He's the King. And people have sort of come to Him to build nests, to build their lives underneath His Lordship. But unlike when the kingdom starts in full... It's going to be a little bit like building a nest in a mustard plant. A big mustard plant. Great big mustard plant, but still a mustard plant. The wind will blow. Trials will come. And our little nest will be shaken like crazy. It doesn't feel like my life sometimes is, is rooted to a giant cedar. Sometimes it feels like my life is in a mustard plant. We live in the... I call it the mustard seed phase of the kingdom, but really it's the mustard plant phase of the kingdom. Jesus, he planted the seed of the kingdom in his disciples, and ever since, this, this thing we call the church has been growing. But it's very easy for people to ignore. Like, it's huge. But it's not all that impressive to a lot of people. It's growing and it's growing and it's growing. But how many people just ignore the fact that there is a church and don't care that it's there? Right? It's like driving by the, the largest ball of twine to them. It's forgettable. It's easy to ignore. It's easy to brush off for most people. It, it won't always be that way. Inauguration day is coming. And Jesus' feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. And that baby is going to rip in two. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for now, we live in the Valley of Mustard. We're in the mustard plant phase of the kingdom. He teaches a related parable next. Largely the same lesson in the parable of the leaven. Or the yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast or leaven that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. Some of our modern translations like this one uh, substitute the word yeast or translate that word uh, yeast instead of leaven. Leaven really is a better picture word. Um, nobody in first century Israel went to the store and bought a packet of yeast. That's not how they made bread. There wasn't such a thing. What they had was this little box of dough that mama kept in the house that was leavened. And when she made bread, which would have been like every day, she would get in that box, that container, pinch off a little bit of that leavened dough and mix it in with what she was baking for that day. And slowly, the whole loaf, lump, whatever you call it, would be, would be raised. In fact... When young women got married, one thing their mother traditionally gave them was a little box, and some of mama's leaven would go in there, and then she was starting her own home. So really, the same colony of yeast 
right? Because we know the science behind this now. I don't, but some people do. I think it's like a, it's a fungus, bacteria. What is it? I should have looked this up before I started preaching. We'll call it a yeast. How about that? Excuse me. We'll, we'll call it a, a, a fungus. But literally the same colony for generation after generation after generation was still working and spreading through the people. And if something happened in, in your little box of leaven and it died, the yeast died and it wasn't yeasty anymore, you just went to a neighbor and got a little pinch of hers to make your bread with. And then after you made, if it, after it was all risen, you'd pinch off a little bit of that and put it back in the box for, for the next day. Here's why Jesus said, oh, one more point about this parable that we miss. This gal made a massive loaf of bread. <laughs> um, most of our versions say that she, she took uh, three measures of flour or three, uh, a large amount of flour or three pecks, and we really don't know what that is. Um, the Greek word is, is sata, and a sata is three and a half gallons. So she started with over 10 gallons of flour. Right, so she went and got a 50-pound sack of flour and made one loaf of bread. I hope she had a big oven when she did this. Again, this is a made-up story to prove a real point. That's what a parable is. She was, they were going to be eating sandwiches off that bad boy for a long time. Here's why this is such a good picture. Here's what Jesus is saying. Again, microscopically, like we don't even know how this works in his day. Just a little bit of something that has been under the influence of something gets mixed in with the whole loaf and somehow slowly it spreads, it multiplies until the whole lump has risen. This is the way the church has always worked. Regular people telling regular people who the king is. Slowly spreading. And we don't even make bread this way, but like if you at least laid out frozen dough before, like the frozen loaves, the little roads rolls, here's, here's the way it usually works. You lay those things out and you look at it and nothing happens and nothing happens and nothing happens and what is going on and the company's going to be here and the thing's not even, and you take your eyes off of it for like 45 minutes and come back and what? Poof. Somehow they're twice the size they were just a little bit ago. Like that's the church. That's, that's how the church works. Quietly, slowly growth around the world. China is a, is a great example. Two generations ago, we Westerners didn't think there were any Christians in China. Right now, today, there are probably more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Like, take your eyes off that lump and poof. There it is. That's, that's how Jesus prepared his disciples for what this phase of the kingdom would be like. Doesn't seem terribly impressive, right? This isn't how the disciples were hoping Jesus would work. If we're honest, it's not how we wish Jesus would work a lot of the time. You ever wish Jesus would be a little more... Uh, you know, front and center, a little more visible power, a little more out in front. I think we all have that 
this whole mustard seed becomes a mustard plant, a little, uh, a little leaven spreading, spreading through the entire world. Doesn't seem all that impressive, but I want you to know how impressive this really is. I want you to consider what Jesus is, was saying 2,000 years ago. This is not just teaching. This is a prediction. So here's what happened on that day. Jesus was, I know he was king of kings and lord of lords, and I know he was the son of God, but he was also a Galilean peasant. Right? Just it looked like a regular dude from the hill country of Galilee. And he stood up in this sermon and said, let me tell you what my kingdom is going to be like. The kingdom of heaven, he's already said the kingdom has come and I'm the king. It's going to be like this mustard seed. This mustard plant's going to keep growing. It's going to be like a little bit of leaven just spreading through the whole world. Now you think about that. A Galilean peasant with 12 other peasants, he predicted what I plant is never, ever, ever going to stop growing. Not because of military might, because it, this church thing that's going to grow doesn't have an army. Not because of political power. Most places Christians are, don't have power because they're Christians. Not because of intimidation and impressiveness. But he said in another place, but the gates of hell will not overcome what I'm going to start through these 12 nobodies. Jesus, and these, they were nobodies from nowheresville. And he said, what I start today is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and it's never going to stop growing and the gates of hell itself will not stop it. The church hasn't just happened. The church hasn't happened by accident. The church has happened exactly like Jesus predicted it would happen. Does the church still look unimpressive to many people and worthy of being ignored to to most of the world? Absolutely. Is it still growing? Absolutely. In spite of efforts to stamp it out, to eradicate it, it grows and grows and grows. And I want you to notice how else Jesus was teaching us it would grow. These two parables teach the same thing, don't they? So why would you teach the same thing twice in a row? Here's what I think. The first one is the story of a man doing a regular man thing in first century Israel. A guy planting something. And how many families planted something somewhere? Basically all of them. Right? This is a regular guy doing regular guy things. The second parable is a woman. How many women in uh, ancient Palestine baked bread every day? Like only all of them. And it's just a regular, normal thing. This is something else Jesus is teaching. You know how this thing's going to grow? With regu- I'm going to start this thing with regular nobodies. It's going to continue by regular people who know who the king is telling their friends and their neighbors who the king is. And the gates of hell will not stop the process till I decide it's time to be done. God chose to influence the world, to change the world 
with people like us. It's the, the, the work of the church is not just up to the professionals, the clergy class. It was never that way. It's tiny seeds and regular lumps like you and me who have been influenced by the king and will spread his influence to a neighbor who spreads his influence to two neighbors who spread their influence to four neighbors. And before long, the world has been changed. That's what he said this phase of the kingdom would be like. It's exactly what's been happening for 2,000 years. And it's not just how it's been happening, it's actually our purpose. The growth, the spreading, the influencing of the world by people of the king is our purpose. You know how I know? At the end of the book of Matthew, when we get there, after Jesus has gone to the cross and died under the weight of our sins and rose again, he gets the boys back together for one more pep talk before he ascends into heaven. And guess what he tells them? Here's your job, men. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus planted the seed. Jesus sort of leavened those, at that point, 11 men. And that's where the tiny little process started. And it multiplied, and it multiplied, and it multiplied, and it multiplied. So first, let me talk to you about you for one second. Where are you at with Jesus? Have you just mainly ignored the mustard plant your whole life? Have you been waiting? I'll believe in God when He does something like impressive. If you're so real, give me the lightning bolt. Come on, we've all done this. Make the lights flip on and off twice real fast and then I'll believe. Jesus said, my kingdom's going to look more like the mustard plant across the street. It's going to get really big, but it's still going to be kind of... unimpressive. What have, what have you done with Jesus? Do you, have you accepted that what, when he went to the cross, he went there to pay the penalty your sins really deserved? You know, we talk about being saved here a lot. You know what people are saved from? Ultimately, God. We're saved from God. Because those who haven't been saved are going to face God's wrath on their own. And Jesus bore God's wrath so that when we get before God, if we've believed in Him, He doesn't have any more wrath left. It was poured out there. Have you decided that Jesus needs to be your Savior, your King, your Lord? Or have you still just been driving by the mustard plant? If you're ready to make him your king, you can do that. You don't, need, you don't need me. You just need him. Lord, I know I need saved from you. I deserve your wrath. I deserve your punishment. And I believe Jesus took it in my place and that will become effective for you. Now, when someone does that, when someone makes that decision, 
Guess what Jesus said they should do next? Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So now I'm going to talk about some other people that are here this morning, and a lot of you are here to see them be baptized. Here's what we're going to be doing this morning. There are, uh, I think, 11 people this morning who have already decided for them what I just explained to you, that, that I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe the only way I will stand before God and not face his wrath is because his wrath was poured out on my king, Jesus. They want to live as a disciple of Jesus for the rest of their lives. Some young, some not so young. And they want to make a public profession of that. In our tradition, we don't believe that, that what we do here this morning saves anybody. I always, I always compare this, what we're going to do, to a wedding. And it's kind of an incomplete uh, analogy. But uh, I got married once, and it's going great, right? Rachel and I got married. We didn't decide at the wedding that that's, when we, that's not when we decided to spend the rest of our lives together, loyal to, just to each other. We decided that privately previously. At the wedding is when we got up in front of literally God and everybody and made it public. That's sort of like baptism. These are people who I believe have been uh, regenerated by the blood of Jesus. And then what we're going to do this morning, Paul said in Romans 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what we're symbolizing today. As I immerse someone in the tank, I will say something like, buried with him in the death, raised again into newness of life. It comes from, from that verse right there. We're symbolizing, I, I identify for my salvation in Jesus' death and burial and his resurrection. And, and we symbolize the washing away of sins. Um, and it's a good thing it's only symbolic. Otherwise, the 11th person would have lots of sin in the water by the, time they, uh, by the time they got in there. And it won't be that way. Okay. I, um, um, I'm going to invite, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And after I get done praying, I'm going uh, to invite the musicians to come up and we're going to sing our last song. And uh, during the prayer or after the prayer, if you're being baptized this morning, you can head to where, to where you need to head to and then we will uh, uh, have our baptisms. Symbolize what, uh, what we trust in because of what Jesus did for us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that 2,000 years ago you planted a seed. His name was Jesus. And he had 12 just very regular guys around him and some other very regular friends whom you influenced and you taught. And then you sent them out into the world to continue what you did with them, to let helping people understand who the king is. And that process has continued for 2,000 years 
until I heard, until many people here heard that you are the king we needed all along. And though your kingdom doesn't look like it will someday, you can be my king, my Lord, my master right now because you're my savior. Lord, I thank you for, for these people who are coming today to symbolize that they uh, want to follow you, that they want to live their life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, saved by his blood shed on the cross where he became a curse for us. In his name we pray, amen.